We are studying tonight, Lord, uh, Article 28 of the Belgic Confession. You'll find it on page 68 in the Three Forms of Unity. Article 28, everyone is bound to join himself to the true church. We believe since this holy congregation is an assembly of those who are saved, and outside of it there is no salvation, that no person of whatsoever state or condition he may be ought to withdraw from it, content to be by himself, but that all men are in duty bound to join and unite themselves with it, maintaining the unity of the church, submitting themselves to the doctrine and discipline thereof, bowing their necks under the yoke of Jesus Christ, and as mutual members of the same body, serving to the edification of the brethren, according to the talents God has given them. And that this may be the more effectually observed, it is the duty of all believers, according to the will of God, to separate themselves from all those who do not belong to the church, and to join themselves to this congregation, wheresoever God has established it, even though the magistrates and edicts of princes were against it, yea, though they should suffer death or any other corporal punishment. Therefore, all those who separate themselves from the same or do not join themselves to it, act contrary to the ordinance of God. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, the confession here teaches us the necessity of joining the church of Christ as it exists on earth. He's, the confession is not talking about uh, being a member of the spiritual body of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are automatically incorporated into that spiritual body of the Lord Jesus Christ by our regeneration. But the confession is here talking about the necessity of being a member of the church as it exists on earth, the church in its institutional form. And not only of being a member of that church, but being active in the church, participating in the church's worship and uh, caring for the other saints of God who are also members of the church. This is an important idea in our own day because there are so many who neglect the church in favor of other uh, fellowships, the fellowship of small groups or of informal uh, gatherings of Christians and so on, but the confession is here uh, talking about the um, gatherings of the people of God and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ as it exists in its institutional form on the earth. There are three things that I want to talk about in connection with the article. First of all, I want to look at the way the confession describes the obligation here. And secondly, at the reasons the confession gives for the obligation and finally, the problems that we have with this obligation. The Confession uses, I think, three uh, ways of describing this obligation to be members of the Church. The first thing that the Confession says is that no one ought to withdraw from it. No one ought to withdraw from it. And I, I think that that's very carefully worded. There are some, of course, who are unjustly forced out of the Church of Christ. 
as Luther, for example, at the time of the Reformation was unjustly excommunicated by the Pope and was therefore considered outside the church because of it. There are those also, for example, who are in prison or who are harried by authorities and who are kept away from the Church of Christ by that fact. And there are those who suffer sickness or the infirmities of old age and are unable to be actively involved in the Church. The Confession is not talking about those kinds of situations. The Confession is talking instead here about voluntary withdrawal from the Church. What the Confession says is we ought not voluntarily to withdraw ourselves from the church on earth. And it says that that is true no matter what state or condition we may be in, whatever our circumstances, no matter what our geographical uh, location, no matter our social status, whatever the case may be, we are to consider ourselves as uh, bound to join the church of the Lord Jesus Christ as it exists on earth. There are those, for example, who are wealthy or or powerful, who think that they are kind of above this sort of thing, above the need to be members of the body of Christ. And there are those also, I think, who consider themselves more or less unworthy of being members of the church and who keep themselves away from the church on that ground. But whatever the state or condition, the confession says, we must not withdraw ourselves from it. So that's the the first way the confession states the obligation. The second thing that the confession says in this regard is that we must not be content to be by ourselves. We must not be content to be by ourselves. And, of course, this applies to all Christians, wherever they are and whatever their circumstances. It applies even to those who are prevented from gathering with the church or being members of the church. They ought to feel that isolation. They ought to be uh, dismayed by the fact that they are kept away from the uh, church. They are uh, to be discontented, if we may put it that way, at their disconnection from the church of God. We ought to feel if we are prevented from being members of the church or being in church the way the psalmist felt in Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, Where is your God? We may think, well, that's just longing for the presence of God. But if you go on to verse 4, you see he's talking about the congregation of God's people. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. And it is because of this disconnection from the congregation of God's people that he goes on to say in verse 5, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. 
So that's the second thing that the confession says about this obligation to be members of the church. And the third thing that the confession says that all are, is that all are duty-bound to join. I, I do not think, therefore, that we should think in terms of church membership as a choice that we uh, can make to join or not to join. Uh, it might be a better thing to join, but uh, not joining is an option that we should uh, seriously, or we can in certain circumstances anyway, seriously consider. The confession is saying here that we should have a sense of duty about this. We are duty-bound to, jo- to join. In fact, we should consider being membership in the church in the same kind of way we consider a duty towards a spouse in an unhappy marriage, for example. I'm not talking about those marriages where there are, um, there are biblical grounds for divorce or separation, but a marriage that's nevertheless not a very happy marriage, and we should feel an obligation to the spouse to live within that marriage. And the confession is saying this is the same kind of sense of duty that we should feel as we consider the matter of membership in the church. Or it's the same kind of sense of duty we should have when we go to work every day. We may not want to go to work every day, but we have an obligation and we know that there will be consequences if we don't fulfill our obligation. And so we have this sense of duty, this sense of being compelled to go to work, whether we like it or not. And this is what the confession, the kind of language the confession is using here. There's a sense of duty, whether we like the idea or not, there's a sense of duty that compels us to go to church and to be members of the church. So those are the three ways the confession describes this duty. No one ought to withdraw from it. We must not be content to be by ourselves. All are duty-bound to join. Now let's look also at the reasons that the confession gives for this obligation, and I think we may discern in the Article 6 reasons. And I want to begin with the very last statement that the confession makes here about this. All those who separate themselves from the same, that is from the church, or do not join themselves to it, act contrary to the ordinance of God. It's contrary, confession says, to the ordinance of God not to join. This, I think, is the fundamental reason for being a member of the church, that it is the ordinance of God that his people be joined to the church. And this is what really underlies all the other reasons that we're going to be talking about in a few moments. The the sense of duty, in fact, that we have should arise out of this ordinance of God as we have in the commandments the uh, ordinances or commandments of God regarding our way of life, and we are um, under obligation to obey those commandments. So God has ordained that we should be members of his church, and we are under obligation because of that to join the church. This is the way things worked in the Old Testament already, of course. 
the uh, children of the congregation of Israel were automatically incorporated into the congregation of Israel by the very fact of their birth. And they were obligated by the fact of their birth and their membership in the nation of Israel to observe the law, to uh, go to observe the feast days in the tabernacle, to bring their tithes and offerings to God, to uh, observe all the commandments of God and to worship God along with their brothers and sisters in the nation of Israel. And when a, a Gentile joined the congregation of the people of Israel, then that Gentile also came under those obligations of the law. He had to be circumcised, he had to observe the feast days, he had to do all these different things. It was the ordinance of God then. God had established certain ordinances for his worship, the worship of his congregation in the Old Testament. And those who were part of the nation of Israel had an obligation under those ordinances to be a part of those activities. And the same thing you see in the New Testament. When the Apostle Paul went preaching the gospel to the Gentiles uh, on his first missionary journey, he went to all these different cities in what we know today as Asia Minor, and he uh, preached the gospel, and there were converts, and these converts were not left to themselves then, to live by themselves, separate from other Christians. They joined together in a body, and as Paul came back through this, those cities on his return journey, he, the, Acts 14 tells us, he ordained elders in every city. He organized those congregations. He gave to them an institutional and this was where the people of God then gathered to express their uh, existence as the body of Christ, as the church of Christ in the world. And when Paul wrote many of his letters, then you find that he wrote those letters not to groups of Christians, but he wrote letters to churches. In both 1st and 2nd Corinthians, he addresses the church in Corinth. In Galatians 1, he talks to the churches in Galatia. In 1st Thessalonians and 2nd Thessalonians, he addresses the church in Thessalonica. John speaks in Revelation chapter 1 to the seven churches of Asia. Paul even wrote the letters of Timothy and Titus to pastors in local congregations. Timothy was in the church in Ephesus and Titus in Cyprus, serving the churches there in Cyprus. And he uh, made clear to them that he expected them to be ordaining elders in those churches, to be giving to those churches their institutional, their earthly form in which the Christians then could gather together for the worship of their God and for mutual edification. So that's the, the first, the fundamental reason. We, God has made it an ordination, an ordinance rather, that his people become members of the church as it exists on earth. 
Now, one of the more interesting reasons that the confession gives for um, joining the church is expressed in the first part of the second paragraph. That this may be the more effectually observed, it is the duty of all believers, according to the word of God, to separate themselves from all those who do not belong to the church and to join themselves to this congregation wheresoever God has established it. It's very interesting. I think what the confession is saying here is that there are really only two places for us to belong on earth. The one place to belong on earth is the world. And the other place is the church. And we have to choose between them. Am I going to belong to the church or am I going to belong to the world? By choosing the church, we say, I am not of the world. I do not belong to the world. I belong to the Lord Christ. And I seek a heavenly kingdom. And when we refuse to join the church of Christ, We at least, at the very least, leave publicly open the question, where do you belong? Do you belong to the church or do you belong to the world? There's no halfway status here for you. You have to make a choice. Are you going to belong to the church or are you going to belong to the world? So that's the second reason, then. The third reason that the confession gives is that we need to maintain the unity of the church. Now, this is a very difficult thing in our time, I think, when the church is so fragmented. It's a very great disgrace and shame to the church today that she is so fragmented, so divided, that there are so many parts and so many branches of the church and that they disagree on so many important issues. The Apostle Paul urges in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3 endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And he's talking there not just about a spiritual unity, but also a spiritual unity that manifests itself in an institutional unity. Because he goes on to say, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. And then he even goes on to say in verse 11, he, gave, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. We have an obligation then to maintain the unity of the body of Christ to do what we can to make sure that the church 
is one. Paul urges in 1 Corinthians 1 of the, to the Corinthians, be of one mind. Think the same way. Believe the same things. Confess the same gospel. Don't be divided and fragmented and at odds with one another. Let the one gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ be confessed by all of you together so that you show the unity of the body of Christ here in the world. We need to maintain the unity of the church. So that's the third reason. The fourth reason is that the confession gives is that we need to submit to the doctrine or teaching and discipline of the church. God has appointed uh, authorities in his church. He's appointed pastors and elders to rule and to teach in his church and to discipline according to his word. And we need to submit to that authority, however difficult it may be. Our king does not say to us that we, he will be satisfied with us submitting directly to himself. He has appointed earthly representatives to exercise his authority in the church. And he tells us that we need to submit to those authorities, to submit to that teaching, and to submit to that discipline and that rule. There are a number of different places we could refer to in the, Old, in the New Testament, but let's look at Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 and 17. Hebrews 13, verses 7 and 17. In verse 7, the apostle exhorts the saints, remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. But especially, verse 17, obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. He's talking about the elders of the church, and he says, obey them, be submissive to them, they watch for your souls. In fact, don't make their job difficult. Don't make it joyless a job full of grief for them. But rather submit to them in such a way that they may find joy in the work that Christ has given them to do. We need to submit to the doctrine and discipline of the church. I think this is very hard for us today because we're not used to submitting to authority. We don't like authority anymore today. That's changed, I think, in our modern world. It used to be that people basically accepted the idea of authority and recognized the need to be under authority. But we don't do that anymore. We think that we can freely and uh, openly disobey the civil authorities. Children think it's fine to disobey their parents, that there's really no need to obey their parents. And especially within the church, people think, 
The elders may be able to give me some good advice now and then, but if I don't like it, I can refuse it. I don't need to pay too much attention to them. They're just men, after all. They are representatives of the Lord Christ, who rules us through them. So that's the fourth reason. The fifth reason that the confession gives is that we need to bow our necks to the yoke of Christ. This is really very close in meaning to the previous reason. But we may add here that submitting to the proper government of the church is submitting to Christ. Submitting to the proper government of the church is submitting to Christ. Christ has appointed them. Christ rules us through them. When we submit to them, then we are bowing our necks to Christ's yoke, of which he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. So that's the fifth reason. And the sixth reason is that we need to serve the brethren. A very practical matter. God has knit the members of the church together in one body or in one congregation because no man can stand by himself. No Christian can stand by himself. He needs others. And he needs to be serving others as well. In Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul says to the saints in Rome, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And in 1 Corinthians 12, the apostle speaks in the same kind of language to the church in Corinth. The whole chapter is about the need to be serving the other members of the body, but Let's just look at a few verses toward the beginning of the chapter, verses 4 and following. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Notice that. Each one receives gifts for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, 
to another the interpretation of tongues, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. And then the Apostle goes on in the verses following, and he says to the individual members, don't say, the body has no need of me, or I have no need of the body. That's not how God has created the body. And he also says to the church as a whole, don't say to any individual member, I have no need of you. You belong together. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? Now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the conclusion of people of God is, we must be joined to Christ. He is the Savior, and there is no salvation outside of him. But Christ has a body of which we must be members. He has a kingdom of which we must be citizens. He has a household in which we must be children. And he says to us, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. So those are the the reasons, I think, that the confession gives. It's an ordinance of God that we join the church. Joining is intimately connected with our separation from the world. We need to maintain the unity of the church. We need to submit to the doctrine and discipline of the church. We need to bow our necks to the yoke of Christ. We need to serve the brethren. No man should be content to be by himself. Now, there are many problems, of course, that we have with this, finally. Sometimes they're personal problems, and those are problems we have to deal with, of course, in ourselves. But sometimes the problems are in the church, aren't they? We find in the church, for example, inadequate teaching. Teachers who who feed the flock from week to week, week after week, with the milk of the word, and never try to give them any strong meat, never try to help them to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, or even openly false teaching. Sometimes the worship of the church does not conform to the scriptures, and we are in the worship service of the church and we're very uncomfortable because we say this is not biblical this is not the way God wants his people to be worshipped his people to be worshipping him this is not acceptable offering to God sometimes the rulers of the church uh, neglect their duties or are overbearing and domineering and oppress the people of God by their wicked ways. The rulers of the church also have their sins. And sometimes simply we look around 
at the other Christians in the church and we say, of at least some of them, what are they doing here? They don't look or act like Christians. Many, many sins and many problems in the church. The church is far from being perfect. In fact, the church shows very little of that glory that is ascribed to her, for example, in Psalm 48 or in Revelation 21 and 22. And this is the way things have been in the past as well. Think of the time of Eli, the priest, and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Hophni and Phinehas were committing sexual immorality with the women who gathered at the door of the tabernacle. They were stealing from the sacrifices that the people brought to the tabernacle to be offered to God. And Eli, the high priest, who had responsibility to oversee all of this, wasn't doing anything about it. He rebuked his sons, but he didn't stop them as he should have. Or think of the time of the judges. Especially think about those last five chapters in the book of Judges. In chapters 18 and 19, we read about the, the story of Micah and his idolatry. There's not one good thing said about anyone of the people of Israel, the people of God, in those two chapters. Not one godly person appears in those chapters. Micah's mother gives him money so that he can make an idol. Micah not only makes the idol, but sets up a place of worship with the other household gods and and hires a wandering Levite who's not doing his duty to be his priest. Then the Danites come and they steal Micah's idol so that and Michael's pre, Micah's priest so that they can use it instead of Micah. Of that whole situation, the scriptures say, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And in the last three chapters, you have the story of the Levite and his concubine. The men of Gibeah, who were Israelites, people of the tribe of Benjamin, were no different from the men of Sodom and Gomorrah, whom God destroyed. In fact, there are deliberate comparisons made in that account with Sodom and Gomorrah. The people of God were doing what the people of Sodom and Gomorrah had been doing and had been destroyed for. Think of the times of the wicked kings in Israel. Ahaz copied from, I think it was Damascus, an altar to a foreign god and set up that altar in the house of God itself. And yet the people of God had nowhere else to go. They had to worship at the temple. They had to bring their tithes and their offerings to the wicked priests who served in that temple. They had to observe the feast days as God had commanded them. Those were tough times for God's people. 
And yet they had to continue to worship God as well as they could in very evil circumstances. I think the same applies to us in these times of apostasy and unfaithfulness. We look at the sinfulness of the church, in other words, people of God, and we sometimes despair. We say, I can't be a part of that. And I think we should maybe look first at our own sinfulness. Make sure that we have cast out the beam from our own eye before we seek to understand even the moat that is in our brother's eye. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 and following. I want to close with this. Ephesians 4 verses 11 and following. We already read the first couple of verses there, but let me read them again. He himself, that is Christ, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. He's talking about the pastors and elders and so on. For what purpose? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, that is, so that the saints under their authority, may learn to serve one another for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. That's the obligation God lays on us, to minister to the saints, to serve the body, so that the body may grow and become one and reveal the glory of Christ the King. May God bless us with his word.